0: Welcome to the Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Jordan McNamara. I'm recording this about a week out from the NFL draft, so plenty of things to talk about. Uh, plenty of news stories going on. I'm not really going to do the news this week. Uh, I think the Tua stuff's interesting. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, but I want to talk about something that I really enjoy talking about. Uh, I enjoy talking about it, all of it, but one of my favorite topics in all of in all of dynasty fantasy football is, is consistency uh, and the, the value in which you can maximize your team by rejecting the idea of consistency. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that, talk a little bit about the two news, some things to watch for basically what the schedule is looking like at analytics dynasty uh, through the draft and uh, basically through the next month or so Um, before we get there. Uh, well, part of the schedule is uh talk. I want to talk about the uh, the Patreon, the Analytics Dynasty Patreon podcast. Uh, so Patreon.com/slash Analytics Dynasty for the past it's about thirty five days now. I've been in quarantine and I've been releasing a podcast a day. It's a good release for me. Uh, and you know, I've been talking a whole bunch of different topics: strategy, players, draft values, trade topics. Uh, you know, a lot of different ideas and different concepts, some of the stuff from the book, other stuff that's brand new research, um, all of it. So, um, you can find all that at patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty, $10 a month. It'll get you a podcast a day. It'll also get you a couple other things. My, my dynasty tiers, which is a different take on rankings. Using some metrics, talking about ranges of outcomes, looking at making better probability bets in, in your picks and your trades, uh, in your rookie drafts and your startup drafts, all of those things. So, uh, and I also have a, a live ADP tracker. So it tracks real drafts. There's actually, uh, as I'm recording this, there is one tomorrow, uh, which I have, a uh, one of the patrons is drafting in. I'm going to be tracking his draft, uh, automatically it th- updates up to the minute. He's actually, uh, beta testing for me uh, an app basically a, a, an application it's a it's going to be something that I'm gonna roll out in more uh, in more depth and sort of make it bigger as it as it goes along but it's something available uh, now that I've used and it tells you the probabilities on players being there in future at future picks so uh, and there's there's more stuff coming down the line as well so looking at a lot of different stuff for uh Tools for startup drafts, how to make them how to make them easier to navigate. Trade ideas, a whole lot of different data-driven strategies over there. Patreon.com/slash Analytics of Dynasty. So with the podcast, uh, the daily podcast, it's going through the end of the month. It'll probably go through May fifteenth because that's at least May fifteenth because that's when I am at least in quarantine until. And then, um, you know, it'll still be going on after that. So $10 a month, you get all of that. Uh, And I also have the Analytics Dynasty group me as well, which is an invaluable resource for me as well as uh, the people in there constantly talking trades. Uh, Startup drafts, strategy, different ideas. Uh, So go ahead, check all that out at patreon.com slash analytics of Dynasty. So perhaps my favorite topic I've ever written about was one of my favorite topics, um, has been consistency. And I wrote about it in the Analytics of Dynasty 2020 edition. And I see these Twitter debates or Twitter polls and I do them from time to time just to get an idea of what the market thinks about this. And it's, it's always um, pretty illuminating uh, in, terms of the, in terms of the strategy decisions that folks make. So uh, one of the things that, that I think is really, really important to from a, from a base level, from, so just starting from the ground up, like without thinking about players, without thinking about anything, what is the most important thing in terms of improving your odds to win? If I could tell you one thing to do, or if you could say one thing that you, could, you can do, what would it be? It is score more points. Simply put, the more points you score, the more games you'll win. Um, And that might seem counterintuitive. It might seem simplistic. I'm not sure what it seems, but I think that gets lost in this debate. So simply put, and I dove into this into the analytics of Dynasty, uh, in, in the 2020 edition, you can find all the data there, find the whole argument um, and, and the the whole, all the data, all the concept behind it. Uh, but simply put, the points that you score dictate about 95% of what you would expect your all-play record to be in a given year. Okay, So your all-play record is if you were essentially to play each team each week and... Um, you know, what your record would be playing all of those teams. So playing 11 other teams in 13 different weeks, what those 143 matchups through 13 weeks, what those would be. Uh, and I measure 13 weeks because that's the the true sample of, of a team, and there's a whole bunch of reasons why I do it in the book. I lay that all out for you there, but but through 13 weeks, the regular season, uh, you play 143 all-play games. And the, the the record in those games, 95% of the record in those all-play, in that all-play setting, or what I call your luck independent record, is dictated by the amount of points that you score. And stop, 95% of it. What you'll see from that is you're ran- you're essentially randomly drawing opponents each week. So that you are essentially just scoring as many points as you can score and you're essentially drawing a random opponent in that 11 matchups, right? You know who it is. It's it's predetermined, right? But uh, you know, when you when you look at it from your all play perspective, right? They might have a high week, they might have a low week now you might score the 10th most points in the league they might score the 11th and you lose right you might score the second most points in the league they score the the lowest points in the in the league and you win right so those things all happen but by and large you'll see them largely you'll see that balance out and that's not even something that you can control okay that's just not something that you can control so that's a it's a big Big premise of this whole thing is that the more most more points that you score, uh, the more uh, games that you will win. Simply put, the the easiest way to think about it is for if you improve your scoring over the course of a regular season by ninety seven points, okay? Not it's it's in a in a base setting, it's ninety seven points. So I use it's ten man lineups. Or all the warp stuff, um, and it is historically been non-superflex. Um, I would say if you're in superflex, the number is probably closer to 113. About 113 points will bump you up just because um, of the quarterback scoring. It just it makes wins uh, a little bit more costly just because you're you're scoring more points. But in in a standard league, uh, 97 points is is a good benchmark to improve your team by a win over the course of a season. Um and that's about a little it's about seven and a half points a a game or points per week. Um and I call that the rule of seven. And uh the and in Superflex it's like I said, it's about a hundred and it's about hundred and thirteen or so. It fluctuates a little bit, but the data that I've seen, it's about hundred and thirteen uh is the number. So it doesn't really precisely matter what the number is as much as the the idea that it is uh it, it's consistent right that number it is scoring more points about 97 so call it if you're in super flex call it 110 um but if you score 110 more points over the course of a se- over a course of a 13 game regular season you should expect another win um and so what you'll see is these these twitter debates or these twitter polls or a lot of the discussion will say well you know i really want consistency I really want a player that will score a consistent amount of points each week. Uh, And you know, I'll take a little bit less points if they give me a high floor Uh, for a number of reasons. That's a flawed strategy and it, and it gives away you're giving away wins. Okay. So if you give away and I saw a recent one where uh, the, the poll was basically, you know, would you rather have someone that scored 250 points uh, but scored them You know, in a I I use the term boom bust manner. They set it out like there was, you know, it's a high concentration of them were essentially in eight weeks, uh, but they were really high, really low week to week. Um, And then the other one was essentially you score a level amount of points uh, throughout each of your each of your games, but you're scoring less points. What would you take? And. Way too many people <laughs> took that they would score less points. So, uh, just the in, in in that number, to give you an idea, that decision to score less points because it would it would your player would be scoring them in, in a more consistent fashion. It cost you a quarter of a a win over the course of a season. Might not sound like a lot. Okay, that might not sound... You're just sitting there thinking, you know, well, I feel comfortable doing it. It's, it's fine. Like, I'd rather have it feel good each week, yada, yada. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reassuring feeling to me, all of those things. Um, that's fine. But you are losing games because of it. And, and in one league, that might not be that big of a deal, But if you're playing five leagues, if you're playing 10 leagues, for me, I'm in, I think, 24, 25 leagues at this point. I can't afford to give away a half a game or or, excuse me, a quarter of a game or a half a game um, over all of those leagues. Right. That adds up to way too many losses. Right. It adds up. And that's stuff that you can't really make up, right? I mean, those add up, and it's tough to make it up. So just by making the more efficient decision of scoring more points, will really, uh, will really benefit you in the long term. Now, what you might say is, well, teams that are more boom bust, they get, uh, they lose unlucky, they, uh, you know, the, the low floor games hurt you. And, you know, you basically aggregate all your, your high points in a big week, uh, your big weeks and you lose the other ones and it sort of hurts your record. There is no basis in fact for that. Um, and I looked at a sample of 624 teams, uh, over 52 leagues at 12 team leagues. And I looked in to see if that was true. And I took 52 consistent teams leagues that I had, uh, that I had data for, and I looked at all of them and there is absolutely no relationship between the amount of points, uh, the, the variation that you have from week to week and, and your record there is. And I also looked at something I call luck wins, which basically means, you know, do you get unlucky, right? Is your actual record, uh, better than your all play record? Right, so that, that all-play record, which would give you the win percentage if you played everyone each week, is that better or worse than what your actual record turns out to be? Basically, the random draw, whatever team you you play in that particular week. Um, and the theory would go that, it, that the boom-bust teams would have worse records than teams with... Uh, Teams with low variance from week to week or a low standard deviation, right? So the teams that are highly variant from week to week, the argument would go uh, get hurt by that and therefore will have, uh, will underperform what you would expect. Uh, and the teams that are really consistent week to week would overperform what you would expect. There is simply put no basis in fact for that. There is no basis in data uh, over those 624. Uh, teams, there is zero relationship between the uh, the variance from week to week and your record, none. Uh, so that's and I think that's a really, really critical p- thing to understand. Uh, and it's a really, really critical trap not to fall into, because it's it's really easy to say, "Well, it feels really good because this this person uh, will play." And, you know, we'll be consistent and I'll get I'll get a good floor out of them. You know, you want to score as many points as you can. Let me put this a little bit different way. In 2019, and a lot of this debate focuses on the wide receiver position, uh, just because that's always really where it comes back to. And I think it's a structural thing about the wide receiver position, but. I always use this metric because I think it's amazing. If I were to tell you that you get 50% of your games from a wide receiver as top 24 weekly finishes, right? So a player plays 16 games over, over the course of a season. And in eight of those games, they finish in the top 24 of the weekly scoring at their position. How would they finish? And it is uh you get a variety of of answers from that really you get you get people say oh that's not a good that's not a good outcome you know that's not a good um you know that's that's boom bust that's high variance that's you know the the person's going to let you down a lot to give you an idea there were 12 wide receivers just 12 that did that last year so there were 12 wide receivers that were essentially wide receiver two or better uh, in half of their games. And I put a minimum cutoff of them playing 14 games Um, just so that way we weren't drawing, you know, guys that played two games or whatnot. And so, um, so I took 14 games and wide receivers that scored basically half of their games or more at a wide receiver, 24, or better weekly threshold. The the worst finish for one of those wide receivers, wide receiver 15. Wide receiver 15. So (laughs) those 12 wide receivers finished from wide receiver. There was only, essentially there were only three wide receivers in the top 15 that didn't do that. Okay, And there were, all of those wide receivers were top 15 plays. If you get eight top 24 weeks out of a wide receiver, the odds are very high. And this has held up historically, too. And Brandon Cooks was a great example of this. Brandon Cooks was essentially you'd get 50% of his weeks would be top 24 weeks. That that finished for a stretch of time, he was in the top 10 of the position over a three-year I think it was a three-year stretch when I looked at it. It's on my website, dynasty.com. You can find the article that I actually wrote about this. It was about how narratives, it was something to the effect of um, Bre- Brandon Cooks isn't boom-bust narrative, and it's the reason why narratives suck uh, is the name of the article. You can find all the data. It's a couple years ago, but you can sort of see uh, all of the metrics there. And so if you get 50% of your... Weeks, eight weeks as being top 24 weeks, that is essentially a plug and play top 15 wide receiver, uh, which is just really counterintuitive. I posted a poll on Twitter a couple of days ago. If a wide receiver plays 16 games, this finishes in the top 24 of the positional scoring in eight weeks, is that a good or a bad season? 67% of people said it was a good season, 32% of people said it was a bad season. Um, there's uh, 67.7% said it was a good season. Uh, 32.3% said it was a bad season. Um, So basically two to one said it was a good season. The threshold for that was wide receiver 15 or better. So that's what you got. Uh, At the other hand, if a wide receiver plays 16 games and finishes in the top 24 of the positional scoring in eight weeks, is that wide receiver boom bust? in quotes, that boom-bust narrative. 49.4% of people said that that wide receiver was boom-bust. 50.6% said not boom-bust. That is a just a, a classic narrative. And the wide receiver position is boom-bust, right? That is what happens. Wide receivers are highly variant from week to week. They are less variant from year to year. And... Again, if you are just scoring a lot of points, the the difference from week to week does not matter. Let me put it a little bit different way. And this is where people get hung up. And this is, I think, really critical to understand as well, which is that teams really aren't that consistent from week to week. And so in the data that I had. So in the 624 teams that I had, uh, basically the least variant, right? And I, measure, I measured it by standard deviation. So the standard deviation, the lowest one in the entire 624 team sample that I used, that standard deviation was 10.9. If you're not familiar with how standard deviation works, it basically, if you measure two standard deviations on either side, it tells you 95% of the outcomes, right? And, two standard deviations on either side of the average, uh, it gives you where you would expect 95% of the, the weeks to fall inside of. So um, basically, essentially all of them, maybe one outlier. Um, the team averaged 132 points per game. They finished five and eight, and their weekly scores fell between 110.2 and 153.9, which is a range of 43.64 points per game. That is the least variant team in 604 in 624 team sample. Let's look at the average. The average team in the sample scored 140.48 points, with an average standard deviation uh, in of those teams 24 points. 24.3. Uh, You would expect 95% of the scores for the average team with the average standard deviation to come within 91.8 points on the low end and 189.1 points on the top end. It's a range of over 97 points. That's how variant teams are from week to week. So if you think that that seeding some points for a, quote, higher floor wide receiver or a wide receiver that's going to score their points in more Um, or a player that's going to score their points more consistently, it's not happening in fact, right? That is just how you feel. And that is a narrative that, uh, you know, how you feel is is fine, right, if that's how you want to play. But just know that you are giving away wins to your opponents. You are giving away uh, odds to get in the playoffs, odds to get a bye, odds to win a championship because you want to feel better. Okay, and if you want to play that way, it's it's fine, but just know that that is what you're doing. And what makes me feel better is winning more games. Having you know, at the end of the week, when I tally up my ro- record, is having a couple extra wins. Right? That's what makes. That's what ends up making me feel better. Um, and I think that's why most people play is because they want to win. Right? So that's the optimal. That is the optimal decision: is to score more points. Simply put, and teams. Are not consistent week to week, and that's that makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Because you have ten, maybe eleven or twelve players, however big your rosters are, uh, or your starting lineups are. They have good matchups. They have bad matchups. They come to play well. They they come to play with their head up the rear end. Like you have all of these things. You have fluky touchdowns that happen. All of these things week to week. There's a ton of variance from week to week. It is highly volatile from week to week. Um, and track your teams, right? Just track your teams and see how variant they are. I'm, I'll show you the data set, okay? It's, it is, there are 52 uh, teams, the same scoring system, and it's a, they're public leagues, right? So there's, there's no, uh, you know, there's no wildness going on in terms of anyone f- messing with the data. Um, The data that I used, they had no idea that I was going to end up using these leagues, right? There was nothing that they were trying to sway at anything. They were playing it completely straight up, as I think most leagues do. And it is incredibly variant from week to week. The other key point in all of this is what you will hear people say is essentially... Oh, this player bombed this week, and they cost me a game. Um, that is just that does happen, um, but it happens an incredibly rare amount of times. <laughs> so, to give you an idea, I took uh I t- in a different in a different set of leagues, I took um uh, in a different. Uh, and a different I, I used uh, some different leagues to look at this because I wanted to sort of see if this held true across some different scoring formats and so what I did was I just looked to see how how big uh, the margin of victory was. and so I took 26 different leagues from 2019 and I just measured the margin of victory each week. That's all I measured. Just the margin of victory of each game, so there were six games each week, thirteen games uh, in the thirteen weeks in the regular season across twenty-six leagues. That's two thousand and twenty-eight different matchups. And then I just looked at how big the margin was. And most people, and I did some some polling on this on Twitter as well. Most people thought that games were really close, right? They were. They happened in a really really close. Uh, margin okay 16% of games 16% of them so about two a season two of your games have a margin of uh, deciding that game of less than 10 points so put another way 11 about 11 games in in an average team season are going to be outside of 10 points a game Let's put it a different way. You were more likely to have a game decided by 60 points or more than you were 10 points or less. 60 points or more than 10 points or less. What you'll also know in this data and and what you'll also see is that it is the teams that that. It is, and this is true in the NFL too, is that close games are are pretty coin flip, are pretty fluky in terms of if you if you look at how teams perform in close games, it's pretty variant year over year. Like the good teams, uh, the the good teams teams aren't particularly good at controlling that year over year, um, and and good teams. Uh, you know, don't necessarily. It doesn't really correlate in terms of how they perform in close games. Uh, what what they do and why good teams are good is they don't play close games, and so like you'll define it as like a one-score game. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of fluky things that happen in one-score games, uh, and whether that's a bounce of the ball or. You know, a, a tipped pass or whatever. There's there's a lot that can control that. And if you're playing a close game, there's a lot of different things: bad calls, all of those things that can cut against you and really, uh, really <laughs> make you lose games that you shouldn't. Right. So the teams that are are dominant don't play close games. Um, and when they do, it's a much more random outcome than you would expect. The same is true in fantasy football. Is that the teams that are really good don't play these close games. And when they play the close games, the, the ten points or less type games, they don't out they don't there's not really a correlation between their their record and how they do in those games. Because so much of it is is random, especially when you're when you're that close. They don't markedly outperform teams that are bad, right? Where they what they do is teams that are middle of the road, play a lot of these games and they get 50, 50 breaks. And then they end up being about 50, 50 type teams, or, you know, 50, you know, six and seven, seven and six type teams or five and eight or eight and five, right? Those teams in the middle that are playing a lot of those, there's a lot of, uh, variants going on week to week. And so what you'll see is the teams that are really good. Don't play, close games the teams that are middling play a lot of close games Uh, and how do you play less close games you score more points right the teams that score more points play less games that are close and then you don't have to worry about it so that is all to say that essentially and I looked at a lot of different ways because I thought it was true right? I thought that the, the less variance that you had would make you outperform it and in no way is that true. It is a feeling, uh, and I understand the feeling. Uh, I get it, I get why people think that, people hate losing that close game, but it's a cognitive bias that you should just simply uh, reject because it will make your teams better, and it will make you win more games, and it will make you a, a better performing team Uh, consistently year over year and score more points care less about the the narrative of how a player feels and care more about the player scoring more points so whenever you see one of these polls on twitter or anything you know the consistency poll always take the player with more points and typically when you do that like the polls that you'll see it's usually about a 0.1 to 0.2 wins over the course of a. 13 game regular season. And if you're playing in a handful of leagues, like that adds up to wins. Simply put that adds up to wins. It makes you more likely to make the playoffs, more likely to get a buy, which is really where you move the needle in terms of odds. And, and that's just a huge, a huge impact. One of the things I also looked at this week was, uh, I put out some Twitter polls. Um, I like these cause it gives you an idea sort of on how people, how people think, um, uh, you know what the market thinks, and how you can sort of make decisions that that really go, um, you know, essentially uh, more uh, make better and more efficient decisions, um, and, and and use the market data, have an idea of what of what other people are thinking, and how you can sort of implement a strategy that that capitalizes on that a Twitter poll I put out what was a bigger factor in your last dynasty championship luck or skill 47.4% of people said skill and 52.7% of people said luck there's a tremendous amount of luck that goes into this there is skill and i i kind of came down there was a lot of comments on this i kind of came down with the people that said essentially hey listen getting into it is skill getting into the playoffs is skill and then from there it's a lot of luck which I I, I would generally speaking agree with that um, and you know last year I got decimated in week 14 just because the the players that I had high exposures to it just I, I just got blitzed in week 14 uh, in a lot of leagues and lost a disproportionate amount of what you would expect I would have lost um, and that's just bad. That that's running bad, and it's a high amount of variance. And two years ago, it went the exact opposite. Basically, I won like every week 15 and week 16 game that I got in. And when you sort of add those up at the end, you would expect that to come right around 50 50, which is about where you would expect, you know, about a coin flip. Uh, the teams that are playing in the playoffs are usually pretty close in terms of when you look at what their odds are of playing each other and and different ways that I've looked at it. Like it's a lot closer than you, it's a lot closer to a coin flip when you're playing teams uh, that are scoring right around the same amount of points that you do. And if you think you're going to win, you know, 80, 90% of your games in that, you're just, you're, you're, way too optimistic. Uh and so when you when you sort of add all those up, it basically came down to about 50-50 in terms of those close games that I won 2 years ago and the the games that I lost, the close games I lost this year. Um you know, it's about 50-50, which is about what you would expect. Where you can really move the needle is don't play in week 14, right? Start your playoffs in week 15 with a bye, right? Again, the teams that that don't play close games. <laughs> uh, don't have to worry about uh, as much about those those random variance weeks. And by playing one less game, you it massively increase your odds. And I wrote a lot about that in the book as well. So, um, so yeah, I don't usually do a ton of, like, topical book-based uh, podcasts. But this one has just been one that's been on my mind this week. I've seen it a lot. I've seen it a lot discussed. Uh some people have asked me about it um and but you should totally like if if you are if you're if you're making decisions based on consistency, uh you are just for the sake of consistency. And and you are consciously giving away points, you're giving away your chances to win, right? And so that is uh that's just a major factor. That's not to say if, if, if all things are equal, would I rather have consistency? I mean, it doesn't much matter to me. Um, But a lot of times what you'll see is that the idea that a player is boom, bust will make them cheaper. Uh, And then you would, then what they're actually providing you. So when, when players get labeled as boom, bust, they're actually, it, it, trickles down to what their market cost is in terms of in trades and in the startup draft market. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's a a long form version of consistency and, and why you should reject the notion of consistency. Um, and I figured I'd put that out there as we lead up to the NFL draft uh, and, and sort of thinking about process. A couple things I wanted to talk about a oh, really one major thing I want to talk about the Tua Tagovailoa, uh, drama that's going on. I saw reports today that, uh, I think it was Bob McGinn at the athletics said, you know, there's multiple teams that have him off the draft board based on injury. I don't understand the lefty quarterback thing. I never have. Um, and I just don't, uh, it it seems just from an economics perspective that it actually would be cheaper uh, for me uh, because you are essentially, you know, what's the most, one of the most expensive positions in all of uh, football is left tackle because they're protecting your quarterback's blind side. Well, if you are competing with no one else in terms of, uh, well, you're competing with other teams at right tackle, but they are not prioritizing it the same as you are because it's not their quarterback's blind side, right? That should be cheaper. Uh, the other thing too is, you know, you've seen some things with the the Patriots do this thing with, um, with left-footed punters it makes it more difficult for teams to uh, catch punts because of the spin of the ball. Uh, if you are conditioning your players to catch a left-handed pass uh, that, that will, you know, it's spinning different, it's doing those different things, but that's something that you can, Prepare for; it's more difficult for teams to adjust to that, uh, and you're just seeing the ball. It's spinning a little bit different. You you might have better uh, breaks in terms of interceptions and, and those sorts of things, uh, just because your your players are catching a different ball than the opponents are, uh, and so that's a thing too that seems pretty interesting in terms of just just trying to get an edge. Um, those two things in particular, and. Again, if your offensive structure is a little bit different and whether that's, you know, you're lining your tight end up on the right instead of the left or, or what have you, if you're sort of structuring your offense a little bit differently, that is stuff that opponents have not seen before or see less of. And they are less conditioned to, uh, you know, react. And they might be slower on the, on, on the reaction to those sorts of things. It just seems like it is a it's the type of rare thing that that wouldn't be harmful or that that if you built that in and say hey this is a this is a variance piece for us. this is something that we have that other people don't, that could be really interesting in terms of how you build your team and what you have the ability to do, where you can spend money, those sorts of things. there's efficiencies there that are uh that just seem like it's it's worth exploring. Um so when you you see some of these old school people say oh he's a left-handed quarterback we got to knock him down the board. I think that's given up a value opportunity. But that's beside the point really on the Tua news. The, I think the 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 injury thing is is a pretty big deal. Um uh, I th- I think the report was three people had taken him off the board. Uh and you know there's there's two ankle surgeries, there's a uh, I think it was a broken wrist as well. Um, there might have been a knee thing, and of course the hip thing, uh, which I think is the big thing. But when you sort of add them all up, now this isn't a one-off injury in terms of you know whether it was like a Nick Chubb or something coming to the NFL, not the same position, but you know he had one basically catastrophic knee injury and and was able to get back uh, in shape and and perform well in the combine and all those things. Uh, but had basically one injury, they've added up on Tua. So I do think there's a high amount of range of outcomes on where he's going to go in this draft. I think he's been commonly thought of being as a top-five quarterback. I think that there's some floor on that. Uh, I think there's floor concerns with that. Um, and, you know, we've heard in different reports that a team in the top ten has him off the board. Uh, you know, how many, how many teams are in play for uh, quarterbacks in the top ten? I think it has been, it's, you know, Carolina was a team that I thought might be in that business, but it seems unlikely now with, with uh, Teddy Bridgewater, them spending money on Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we don't necessarily know who those teams are, but, but it, we would be naive to think that he is the lock stock quarterback too. Uh, I think that it's a pretty reasonable bet. Uh, I'd probably take Tua over Herbert, but I think that uh, it's a, it's a, reasonable bet to say that there's a that herbert could go over uh could go over Tua in the draft uh, just because of the injuries and all that other stuff uh, so it, it'll be an interesting thing to watch from a super a super flex perspective watching the the spread between Tua and herbert's going to be interesting and you know one of the things i was talking about earlier is the data that I have from ongoing drafts, and what you'll see right now is that there is a there's certainly a in the startup market, for example, there is a uh, pretty big spread on on the the quarterbacks, and there's a spread in terms of, um, you know, in in terms of how where these guys are going. Uh, two is basically. Uh, well, in in startup drafts right now, um, Joe Burrow is not going as a 101 in super flex formats. Uh, if you were just to look at rookies, it is Jonathan Taylor by about a round. So I think that's a notable thing in terms of when you start looking at when you start looking at um, you know drafts and you start looking at. Um, you know, when you start looking at, at drafts and at, at um, rookie draft strategy and all of those things, it is, it is Jonathan Taylor that's going higher than then Joe Burrow is by about a round. Joe Burrow is going actually behind DeAndre Swift as well in startup drafts. Now, I don't think it's a perfect correlation between startup drafts and rookie drafts. Uh, I think there's different calculuses there. Um, but I think they're probably misplaced if they're not mirroring the, the startup draft market. If you're drafting for need for quarterback early in a rookie draft, it's typically not a good strategy. Hit rate's not that high for sustained success. You'd expect about, you know, depending on how you measure it. And I measure it in a couple of different ways. Somewhere between 40 and 50% is what you would expect the top 10 quarterback in the draft to produce, you know, to be a long-term starter. And like I said, I measured a couple of different ways uh, in terms of like that you know, real success uh, as being, you know, two or more top 24, or excuse me, two or more top 12 seasons is one of the things that I look at. It's about 41% for the, top 10 picks in the draft, uh, and which I think is probably lower than people appreciate. Um, and assuming it's, you know, Jonathan Taylor makes it into the first round, which I don't, I don't think that that's going to happen, but I think it's possible. I think the market probably thinks it is, um, or pretty close to it. I mean, he's about, it's 75%, um, you know, going back to 2000, it's about it's, it's about between 75 and 80% of those guys produce the top 24 season and those hit rates are pretty dense you know and so what you'll see is quarterbacks that uh that basically hit you know they'll it's about 60 between 60 and 70% of them will hit and then about 50% of those are one-hit wonders um so when you sort of look at that like in uh, burrows on the older side of that curve, which is, I, I have seen in my data matters. And I wrote a lot about that in the Superflex chapter. I think the age on that, and there's some benchmarks that you can look at. Um, he would be on the older side of those as of right now. So, um, yeah, so that's just some things that are going on, uh, in the, in the startup market. And I think like when you look at, when you look at to he has been dropping recently. Um, so he was as recently as, uh, we'll call it a few days ago, he was the one Oh four in terms of rookies off the board. Uh, and he is in basically it was Taylor and then Swift and Burrow together. Um, and that gap between Swift and Burrow has opened up a little bit. It, it has, it was essentially even and over the course of call it the last maybe week or two, it's opened up to a couple of pick gap there, basically two and a half picks and startup drafts uh, Tua was at four. Uh, he is now at five. Dobbins has come up ahead of him so um so Dobbins is at 41.6 so two is basically in a tier with Dobbins uh Lamb Cam Akers and Jerry Judy notably Jerry Judy is uh going behind um is going behind uh C. D. Lamb by about five picks and actually just updated while I was doing that that's how good the live tracker is uh, in terms of updating recent picks. Um, and Jerry Judy's going 51.1 right now. So um, compared to C.D. Lamb at 46.6, essentially. So that's um, so just a look at that. And then when you sort of go down a little bit further, um, that's basically a tier. So the top, Taylor's in a tier, Swift and Burrow are in a tier after that. And then and I'm just looking at startup costs. Uh, Tua, Dobbins, Lamb, Acres, and Judy are in a tier, and then it drops basically 15, 20 picks down to Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Justin Herbert. Um, and then they're essentially in a tier at 9 and 10 by themselves um, as the market is treating them in startup drafts right now. So I suspect that there's going to be people that crash that as this, as this week goes on. Uh, as we lead up to the draft and post draft I, I expect that will change i do think there's some floor concerns with the guys up at the top like uh, if you're baking in a first round valuation on taylor which is about that's about where he would be in terms of uh, running back 6 in drafts right now i mean that's essentially where you have to feel is that he's going to be a first round guy i think there's there's a pretty reasonable chance that he's a second round pick i think you know if you were to sort of What's more likely, a third-round pick or a first-round pick? I mean, I think I'm much more – I'm not going to say it's more likely as a third-round pick, but I think it's closer than people would expect. So, so yeah, that's some of the data that's going on. I think it's interesting on the Tua front. Uh, he's falling. He's sliding a little bit. We'll see how that translates to rookie drafts um, in your super flex and your start two formats. Um, but I think it's notable that he is he is falling off a little bit and you're seeing some of the news react in the market. So Um, All right, so that is essentially an update on the rookie drafts uh, in in the market and on Tua and a deep dive on consistency. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Again, you can find more audio content over at patreon.com slash analytics of Dynasty. You can get all the podcasts I've released for the past month, everything going back to when I was releasing them in December. You can get all of those, all the podcasts up through the NFL draft. I plan on doing a... um, a reaction show each night that you will have, you know, when you get up in the morning before that, if you're uh, late to go to bed as I am, uh, you, you will have that uh, podcast and, um, and I am also doing Sunday night hangouts. So I will probably, I might do one on Saturday night of the draft um, just to sort of do a, a patron hangout where we get together. It's a YouTube live, take questions, talk for about an hour Um, strategy, different things, um, and all of that. So, um, yeah, you can find that all at patreon.com slash analytics of Dynasty. And if you're looking, if you're confused about, you know, how should I value players and those sorts of things, the Analytics of Dynasty 2020 edition has great data on rookie drafts in terms of benchmarks for draft pedigree and and um, hit rates on players and the types of players that you should look at and where you should avoid specific types of players which it consistently happens in rookie drafts there are always avoid spots um, and i have a lot of data in there uh, to apply to what i expect will be this year and some avoid spots so um, you can find that at analytics shop. So thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you uh, took something out of the consistency stuff and all the stuff we talked about. And I hope to see you over on the patron side, get you in that patron, uh, that patron uh, live chat that'll go on or live show that'll go on on Sunday night at nine 30 Eastern. So uh, look forward to that. And until next time, continue embracing the variance. We'll talk again soon.